Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. We can actually do it in person this time. Yes, it's downtown LA, March 4th. Obviously, it's a topic that lends itself to meeting people, trying their food, seeing some of the technology on display. My goal with this would be to make it unnecessary. Like if we succeed, we never need to do this again because people have learned so much and met all the people they need that doing another one would become redundant. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. What's the one thing that causes a restaurant to close? Well, that's just the thing, isn't it? There isn't just one thing. As restaurateurs, we're affected by thousands of variables from weather to workforce and from competition to supply chain. How do we navigate our businesses through these murky waters? That's the question Jonah Bliss is trying to figure out. Jonah is the founder of Curbivore, a conference working to help restaurants find the path of least resistance as they navigate overwhelming demand, supply shortages, city regulations, and an evolving marketplace. Today, we talk about the conference that he's built and what he's learned while building it. So I kind of come to this world by way of sort of transportation, urbanism, mobility, kind of starting at the street, working my way towards, you know, the thing that's on the other side of the street, the restaurant, the retail, the business. So for many years, I sort of worked to build alternative mobility companies. So as part of the team that patented and launched Turo, which is like the Airbnb for cars. I was running marketing for a number of e-bike brands for a few years. So I've yeah, kind of dabbled all over. Things are kind of changing, like the urban status quo, just trying to get people out of sitting in traffic in an SUV, if you would. And then I eventually kind of came to the more media side of things and was putting on a few different sort of large conferences. I did a big one for years that was all about transportation again, a big one that was kind of more about marketing in general. And then, yeah, when the pandemic hit, we just sort of saw all these trends crystallizing. And that's sort of what uh, spurred Curbivore, but we'll kind of get into that in a bit, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess what I'm curious about is, and I agree with you, that everything you mentioned, is it transportation, the way cities are evolving and all of that, it's going to have ripple effects on the restaurant industry. But I guess what I'm more interested in is your motivation. Why motivated mm-hmm. to help restaurants? Why motivated to dabble in an industry that you were somewhat disconnected from? Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's for love of the business and for love of the city. You know, it's that sort of local culture that makes city living interesting and worthwhile. A city with no restaurants is probably not a city at all. And so when I saw how devastating the pandemic was, and I was just sort of chatting with a couple of their friends that are, well, kind of dabble in similar spaces, but some of them more restaurant focused. I have a good friend, Matt Newberg, who runs a site called Hungry, all about food tech. Some other friends that are kind of on like the gig worker delivery side of things. And we just kind of like collectively saw what was happening and saw how much damage was being done. And it just felt like there was a conversation that needed to be had. You know, people were talking to people they knew, but they weren't really talking to people on the other side of the fence. And kind of to solve a problem this thorny, you got to think outside the box a little bit. And so we knew, hey, we know a lot of people that are in this space. We know how to get a conversation going, how to put on an interesting event. 
that was kind of the genesis. I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because that's kind of been my thesis from the beginning is that the problem is nuanced and complicated. And as an industry, we've always worked to solve problems from the inside. We haven't really been open to outside perspectives. But through the pandemic, I mean, I can speak for myself and I can speak for the people that I know directly. You know, our eyes have been open to new ways to do business by looking at the models that other industries offer. And I'm curious to know, with that outsider's perspective and seeing how the very nature of restaurants has changed, even like the way we define what is a restaurant, what are the ripple effects that you've perceived from the outside and from the inside as well? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right on the money that like the very nature of what it means to be a restaurant has changed. You know, like the world's most popular restaurants probably don't even really exist physically anymore. You know, it's just a logo on DoorDash and Uber Eats. And so... Yeah, I think there's been the convergence of all these trends, whether it's ghost kitchens and virtual brands, whether it's the emergence of off-premises delivery, whether that's a gig worker or a robot picking up from a restaurant, outdoor dining, repurposing of street space and parking lots. It's just everything that we took for granted for the last hundred years has suddenly changed in you know, the course of 18 months. So it's a lot to keep up with. And I think we can learn a lot from the tech industry for good and for bad, which is sort of fast moving, break things, figure it out later kind of industry. And so Obviously, it's different when you're dealing with humans and labor and food and you don't want to get someone sick and ask for forgiveness afterwards. But I think it's in many ways been good to kind of break up a culture that gotten a little complacent for some things. And you talk about the emergence of tech in the industry. and I see it, too. But there's this internal battle, right, between technology, the consumers, the restaurants, and I would argue like the very definition of hospitality and how that's going to evolve over time. What do you think the right balance looks like? Yeah. I mean, in terms of the definition of hospitality, it's, I think for so many years, it was what happens within those four walls. You make a beautiful restaurant, make a beautiful experience, and someone steps inside your building. And now it's probably more important what happens outside of the four walls, right? It's, is the neighborhood that someone's coming to inviting and is there outdoor dining and is it a pleasant place to be? Perhaps even more interestingly is, you know, if someone's getting the food delivered or to go, what does that look like? What is the unboxing experience like? How is the cuisine and the ingredients reflected, you know, the shelf stability of a thing that's being jostled around someone's car as they take it home now? Is there a little thank you or note that makes someone feel special, an essence or an odor when they open the bag? And so, yeah, I'm not a chef. I don't, I don't have these answers, but Curbivore is all about putting these right people in the room. So, you know, anyone from you know, Alex Cantor to Denny Post to the Josh Copples of the world, people smarter than me and just giving them a platform. And let's talk about that. So you decided to get everyone together. What is the inspiration behind Curbivore itself? Yeah, so the first Curbivore was a, a virtual event, fall of 2020. So still sort of the early days of the pandemic. You know, we kind of started planning it that summer. This was just sort of me and a few friends that are in the industry, just seeing this problem, worrying about this problem, talking to friends that were you know, even more directly, you know, owned restaurants, worked in restaurants that were worried and scared and confused. And just kind of relying on our own knowledge, connections, and ability to kind of put on a decent event <laughs> to get all the right people in the world, right? Let people talk to someone that's not just another restaurateur, but someone from the city that does the permitting for you know, alfresco dining or someone that does technology to talk about, oh, well, this is how the platform actually works. That's why you're having problems with it. Get different people out of their silos. And A, you learn a lot more. And B, you sort of have a like the emperor has no clothes kind of moment because it's like, oh yeah, like all these people, they're figuring it out too. So no wonder everything's a little screwed up right now. What did you take away from that first one? What were like the revelatory moments? 
<laughs> well, it's crazy that uh, it was almost a year and a half ago at this point. I think I've lost track of time in the pandemic. But the revelatory moments, I think it really came down to like how different a successful takeout to go kind of menu is than a successful on-premises dining one is. It's just like, if you're building a menu from the ground up and you're oriented towards people that are not going to eat it in your restaurant, that's a very different looking set of options than what someone might enjoy in the house. And so obviously those answers are going to defer depending on your cuisine. I'm not going to say, well, everyone's got to have X or Y, but all I can say is like no soggy French fries. And let's talk about winning. So you obviously had an intention and there was inspiration behind the first one. What was the goal? What did you hope the people walked away with? And then I'm yeah. curious to see how that's evolved and what the goal of the next Curb of War is going to be. Yeah. So I think that's interesting because we didn't start this as a business. This wasn't like, a, aha, like we're going to get rich doing this. We started this because we saw a problem that we cared about and wanted to try and help people. I know that sounds <laughs> trite, but, but we mean it. And so in a sense, that's why we did one and you know enjoyed it, went back our kind of merry ways. And then this past summer, we were talking again, just like, oh, yeah, we didn't solve the problem with a single virtual event. Maybe it's time to do another one. Maybe we can actually do it in person this time. Yeah, so it's downtown LA, March 4th. Obviously, it's a topic that lends itself to meeting people, trying their food, seeing some of the technology on display. But what I would love, my goal with this would be to make it unnecessary. Like, if we succeed, we never need to do this again because people have learned so much and met all the people they need that doing another one would become redundant. So I'm not sure how many that's going to take, but my goal is to make myself irrelevant. I love that. And me too. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I think I started out irrelevant, so I, yeah, it's a, a circle. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I know that fear. The fear of losing everything or almost as bad. The fear that you'll have to grind on for years at the restaurant without things ever getting better. Hope is nice, but you need help. So I'm going to leverage my 20 years in this industry and the 200 interviews I've done to give you the help that you need. I'm hosting a free webinar this month called The Scaling Session. Over 90 minutes together, I'm going to lay out exactly what you need to do to scale profitability, scale brand awareness, and scale customer frequency. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to sign up today. To make sure that everybody gets what they need from the event, seating is limited. I'm only allowing 25 guests so that you all get the individualized attention that you deserve. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to secure your spot today. So then let's talk about curriculum, right? Yeah. So you're obviously getting the players involved, but you have to have some intention when it comes to designing the curriculum. I guess before we even talk about who's involved, let's talk about what everybody's talking about. What are the topics you're trying to tackle? Yeah, so the topics, I think they're really everything from, again, in-house to the things that happen, not just outside your four walls, but far away from your four walls. So in-house, we have chefs and restaurateurs talking about what sort of successful pandemic pivots look like, how they learned and adapted, whether that's changing their menu or starting to serve virtual brands from their existing kitchen or doing you know, pop-ups all around town, those sort of questions. We also have sort of technologists talking about how you can move things faster, how you can use robots for delivery, how you can reorient it, your real estate so that instead of having 100 angry Uber Eats people out the door and you're moving them quickly and successfully. And then, yeah, the big picture thing is like, how does this interact with the city at large? Like, how do the changes that accommodate alfresco dining also make for a more pleasant street or a more you know, sustainable city? And I think we also even kind of talk about things that a professional restaurateur might not 100% think about, but I think also affects their world in terms of 
informal street vendors or pop-up markets or just sort of like transportation and sanitation. All these things that make cities interesting and tasty and successful, they don't happen in a vacuum. And then in terms of getting people involved, who's speaking? And what are yeah. they talking about? Yeah, so I'm very excited about this. I'm going to learn a lot, I would say. We've, as I mentioned, I went from you know, Denny Post, who used to be the CEO of Red Robin. We've got Alex Cantor from LA's most famous deli, but also runs his own tech platforms. We have VP from Uber Eats. We have the woman that designed LA's Alfresco program. So one of those kind of behind the scene names you never know, but actually like, oh, this is maybe the most important person in the restaurant world in this town. <laughs> and that's also joined by people like Salita Reynolds, who's like the head of LA's Department of Transportation. So again, kind of big picture people that are the ones that create the land that we all live on. We might not even know it. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot of learning happening, that's for sure. It just seems like a massive ecosystem. And overwhelm is a very real thing in the restaurant industry. And like as you're talking about all of the individual elements involved, from the unboxing of a to-go item or a pickup item to everything that you see that goes into setting up alfresco dining and it's a massive ecosystem. And I'm curious to know, how do you structure the content in a way that is, I guess, bite-sized, accessible? <laughs> so we don't bite off more than we can chew? Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, so the people that come don't get overwhelmed with information overload. Yeah. I think we designed a thoughtful program that kind of lasts the whole day and ends with a nice party in the evening, like any good event, broken up with some demo times, some exhibition times, some food, some drink let people sample some of these interesting cuisines and technologies that have been kind of born out of this maelstrom. But no, I think we kind of, you know, looking at the program, we sort of start broad, you know, with sort of big picture questions about the curb and the city and just big picture questions like, you know, how does delivery work? How do we make it sustainable? And then we really kind of, as the day goes on, dive down more into more actionable examples of restaurants that have made pivots and what they learned and how they did that or restaurateurs that started just doing pop-ups and you know what does that mean from a profit standpoint so start big get narrow but uh, i think there's something for everyone and yeah come for as much as you want and stay because you're having fun that's what i think i love that and who else is involved in the organization it's you and who else yeah so got a couple dear friends that worked on it one guy harry campbell runs like called the rideshare guy which you know sort of belies his focus, which has really shifted to becoming like a resource for gig workers and delivery workers. So he kind of can speak from the labor perspective and sort of you know knows what it's like to be the person that has to actually shepherd that meal around. And then we've got other teammates from the design side. We've got people that were contributing from the small delivery vehicle side. And then the original team you know, was found also by Matt Newberg, who runs a food tech blog. So kind of hitting all the different angles here. And I think we've made a special little dish by mixing that all together. I want to talk about the tech companies and the city officials that you work directly with, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. these are people that the average independent restaurateur doesn't have direct access to. And I'm curious to know, what should the independent restaurateur know? Maybe not about all tech companies, but about the tech companies that you've spoken to and worked with specifically. Technology is a tool, right? And it's up to the person holding the tool to use it in the most effective manner, whether that's a delivery platform or a virtual brand edition or a hardware kind of layer like a robot or a ghost kitchen. There's right ways to use it and there's wrong ways to use it. And I think learning how to use them the right way, and that's part of what we're trying to get people here to do is to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. 
that's how you can be successful and profitable and have a good experience and have happy customers and make an honest buck. And I think so many people have just sort of charged into it headfirst by necessity, right? They couldn't serve food the way they used to, that they're now getting squeezed or not serving the food they're proud of. And so I think it's time for kind of like a take a step back, have a deep breath and rethink it a little bit, even though it's not the easiest thing to do. Let's have the same conversation about the city officials. I would assume <laughs> yeah. that even though sometimes it feels like they're in dark rooms conspiring against us, they probably aren't. Yeah, and so I, 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 <laughs> go, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just uh, going to say, you know, I'm sure that they're well-meaning and that they have the best of intentions and that their jobs are really hard. But having said that, there have certainly been many laws that have come down, especially being based out of Los Angeles, that, that have made it really hard to operate a business. In my experience, working with them, talking with them, even spending some time briefly in that world, yes, 99.9% of them are well-intentioned. They're balancing an amazing array of different people's interests and complaints and theoretical problems. You know, it's sometimes the noisiest person in the room just happens to get what they want. And sometimes something that might not make sense for you or me, you know, if you take a step back, oh, well, actually, that makes sense for 90% of the rest of the world. And so I just got to take off my blinders for a second. So uh, yeah, let's not yell at the poor city officials that are doing their best to come out here at the conference and help us and explain their reasoning and the process. Yeah, it hasn't been easy for them either. And there's been incredible resource constraints, incredible tight timelines. I would say we're, I think, emerging into a better place than when we started pre-pandemic. Is it perfect? No, but yeah, it never is. And so we just got to keep fighting the good fight and making the case for why X should become Y or why you need to tweak this law or that rule. And I think this is a good forum for that to sort of not just learn, but to teach. That was going to be my next question is, I mean, is this a communicative, collaborative process? I would assume that if a city official is showing up, maybe it's in part to explain their position, but I would hope that it's also to solicit feedback. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the spirit people are coming in, whether it's the Q&A after panels or the fact that there's a lot of sort of networking portions, which I feel like has the wrong connotation, but like, you know, a chance to meet people and talk and explain yourself and share your own experience. Yeah, I don't think any of our city officials consider themselves dictatorial or they know best. They're just trying their hardest to make it work and keep everyone happy. And yeah, I think if they didn't want to learn, they wouldn't come to these events. And then I want to talk about the in-person nature of the event, because mm. this would have been a lot cheaper and easier to do virtually, <laughs> for sure. You're telling me. <laughs> And so I'm curious, why the priority to have an in-person event? Well, so yeah, we did the first event virtually, and then we did some webinars and smaller digital media things between then and now. But this is such a topic that just lends itself to in-person meeting. Food doesn't taste very good through the screen, in my experience. So it's a chance to sample some interesting cuisine that's emerged from this. It's a chance to like truly kick the hardware, kick the tires on some of these interesting new technologies. So that's looking at one of these delivery bots and actually seeing like how big it is and how it works or you know, some of the other interesting kind of hardware and software solutions that have emerged. Again, there's just something to be said for like actually getting your hands on it. And then I've been putting on events for years and it's just, there's been all sorts of great attempts at it, but the actual like meeting people, when you shake a hand, that's just different than when you're typing someone's name in a Zoom or Slack chat room. You just make a useful, tangible connection that somehow we haven't quite figured out through the screen. And so that's useful for finding your next great business partner, your next great investor, someone you can teach or learn from. And I think that's ultimately what this is about at the end of the day is forging those connections. What speaker or panel are you most excited to see at the event? 
We've got a really interesting one with the COO of Joker, which is a super fast delivery company that's based out of Europe. It's big in the US and Latin America now. And she used to also be at Food Panda, which was a big you know, delivery platform overseas. And so there's been this really incredible rise of delivery platforms that bring you anything you want in 15 minutes. And so in some ways, it's tangential to restaurants, but it's still someone that's competing for your dollar and making a lot of the same learned lessons as you are. I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about how this whole ecosystem has evolved so quickly and what other restaurants and retailers can learn from that. How big is the event? How many attendees do you guys shoot for? Yeah, we're expecting between 500 and 1,000 attendees. It's always kind of hard estimating those things these days, but we've been tracking really well in terms of registration, so I'm excited about that. I think happy hour will probably be the most packed part of the event, knowing the restaurant industry, but (laughs) hopefully people come to learn something too. Where is it actually being held? I know you mentioned downtown LA, but where specifically? Yeah, so it's basically a block east of what we used to call Staples Center. I struggle to call it Crypto.com Arena, but yeah, 11th and Flower. So right in the heart of downtown, we're taking over a big parking lot. We're kind of building a little village with tents and booths and tables and stages. So in some ways, we're eating our own dog food in terms of like, what does it take to make a successful outdoor dining situation comfortable and interesting and beautiful? This all feels really expensive to me. Was it expensive to put on? (laughs) We're being clever where we can. It's a scrappy brand for a a scrappy industry. You know, there's a reason we're not doing it in a convention center. It wouldn't feel right and that would cost (laughs) even more. But I hope people come. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) Well, and if somebody's living in or around the LA area and they want to do a tent, how could they? So... You know, our website is Curbivore, yeah, as in carnivore, but curb, so C-U-R-B-I-V-O-R-E dot C-O. I'm sure you'll be so kind as to drop a link somewhere too. And then as a special treat to your listeners, we're actually going to do 25 complimentary tickets. So if you just sign up and use the code FULLCOMP, one word, FULLCOMP, happy to treat you on us. Again, we want you to come and learn and meet people. So uh, that's kind of the spirit of the event. Are you guys shooting the content? Are people going to be able to access the content after the fact? So we are recording some of it. We won't be broadcasting it live. You know, in my experience, hybrid events are kind of the worst of both worlds. So yeah, I'd encourage people to come and the experience is really about being there in person so you can meet people, taste food, see the technology. But yes, we, we will record select sessions and release those after the fact. So if someone's restauranting anywhere in the world, we want them to learn too. Amazing. As I say at the end of every episode. This is an industry podcast, and I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? To everyone listening, A, thank you for all the hard work you've done the past two years, just keeping people fed and <laughs> sane, and your staff employed. It hasn't been an easy feat. I'm just hopeful that we can give a little bit back to you at this event and maybe teach you something you didn't know, and maybe if you know it all, you can come and teach someone what you know. You know there's a world for mentors and mentees. And I can just promise you it'll be a good time and you'll learn something, eat something and drink something. And it sounds like a good Friday to me. That's Jonah Bliss. To get a free ticket to Curbivore, be sure to click the link in the show notes. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.